Welcome to the third episode of VSTMOL 2022 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always is the Canadian who is using this podcast as an audition for his next starring role, Logan Saunders. Good evening. Good evening. What a distinctly odd episode, I have to say. Are we going to have 30 seconds of pure silence before we move on to each topic? I think we might need to. <laughs> we'll drop a sandbag if it's a topic we want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, like obviously we're vastly skipping ahead to the um, to the challenge here, but it's a good twist on the path of temptation. I just don't think it makes good television. I must say, when I was telling you, oh, I'm going to be late for recording this podcast, that was right before the task started. I'm thinking, well, maybe I will only be a couple minutes late instead of closer to 15 minutes late. <laughs> The irony is, of course, that this is the earliest we've recorded in this time slot of all three weeks, because we've not been prattling on for 20 minutes beforehand. Yeah, we're cutting straight to the chase, which is a TV show you're on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't need to drop that in. I don't like to talk about being on the chase and, you know, being in the top 10 of my year and all that sort of stuff. It, it's embarrassing, this being brought up. So humiliating. Oh, no. Before I forget as well, you did have a little bit of homework from last week. Do you want to attempt last week's episode title? Oh, I am turning my homework. <laughs> Given that I know Marika is going to be grading you on this when she listens to this on Wednesday. One more week. One more week. It's been... One more week. Tape. <laughs> There's There are things to be done in Phuket. <laughs> the first note of this podcast is just going to be, Logan disappoints everyone. Yeah. <laughs> So previously, Rick gave them a phone to stay in contact with before they performed simple tasks on a rotating stage. A day at the beach popping balloons saw Thomas get a bit excited and go too early, costing the group 90 euros, before recreating two Albanian photographers saw the team interact with locals and Glenn be sent home. I thought it sounded like you said they had to recreate two Albanian photographers, and I'm thinking, are we, are we, cloning? Are we cloning locals now? Did you not know that Dolly the Sheep is actually Albanian? <laughs> Yeah. She was raised on a farm in Albania. Yeah. And they are still in Skoda. Rick says that Glenn was a big loss to the group, but the group will be relieved that the chance of losing 5,000 euros has now minimised. All they can do is earn more money, and that chance will come, as will the chance to introduce a black exemption to the game. Now, Rick describes the black exemption as all-powerful. Do you think it is? I think it's all equalizing. I don't think it's powerful. It's not like it gives you an advantage over the other contestants. It just levels the playing field. Yeah, I wouldn't describe it as a uh, as an all-powerful tool, personally. That's one of many things in this episode where I'm listening to Rick talking and going, is it, though? Are you really going for that, though? Because there's a few bits later on where you go, no, actually, you're wrong. <laughs> this was, like I said, a weird episode for me. I've really enjoyed the first two episodes. This one was a good episode, but it wasn't nearly as good as the first two. And I'm like, are they back to their old tricks a little bit this week? In regards to the black exemption, I mean, it would it would be all powerful if it advanced you to the next round as well as cancel everyone else's advantages. Yeah, if it functioned as a green exemption as well, then yes, it would be all powerful but it doesn't. Yeah, so it's just, it's it's like you're throwing out a grappling hook and just reeling, or doing a lasso and just using a lasso and reeling everyone else in to where you are and just say, nope, 
you don't get to have a head start into the next round, come back here. It's essentially an advantage that turns around to you and goes, I'm going to rope you. Okay, Emanuela. <laughs> I got a little bit of feedback on our Emanuela jokes last week. Some people were not particularly happy with me for us going in so much on Emanuela <laughs> last week. But it's Emanuela. I feel like I'd be doing a disservice to her legacy if we didn't make at least one Emanuela reference per week. Exactly. The whole reason we did Oregon last year is so that Logan can actually understand when I constantly talk about how awesome Emanuela is, and also how hilarious her fall from grace, for want of a better term, was, and how, let's be honest, it's unlikely she's ever going to be invited back if they did another Renaissance season. Her Her fall from the Oregon Trail. Yeah. Essentially, she was left on the Oregon Trail to get dysentery. Do you think next season they'll have a twist where it'll be a black and green exemption, where half the disc is green and the other half is black? I am quite surprised they've never done that twist on the black exemption that you said about it also making you immune. Because unless you're in a round where people have got loads of advantages, like potentially this one, I don't think there really is much advantage to play in it. The threat of a black exemption is always better than the playing of a black exemption, I think. It would be the equivalent to having an idle nullifier in Survivor, where you say, okay, no one else can play an idol this round. Here with the mullets, no one can play an exemption or their yokers. In fact, whoever got the yokers was the only one who really got an advantage this week, because they're the only, or well, any other people who held on to their green exemptions too. They're the only ones who really got out of this whole debacle unscathed. Yeah, we always talk about how the difference between Dutch and Belgian moles is that Belgi treats it like a travel log and uh, and Dutch mole treats it more like a group of people coming together to defeat this big spectre of the mole. The Black Exemption is very much a spectre in itself of people always being far more afraid of the potential of a Black Exemption screwing them rather than actually finding out that Black Exemption's been played. It's really strange. And actually, we have sort of been talking about starting doing our first Vidim Historians of uh, of the year in terms of recordings. We're not going to say which one we're doing first, but it's a really good one. And I watched the premiere a couple of nights ago of that one, and it is so... It, it's night and day between that season and this one in terms of the attitude that they take towards the show. It's very much more Belgian style than, uh, than modern day Vidim. I would say. And it looks like they've they still keep the same accommodation for the third episode in a row, don't they? They're still at that same lodge in the middle of Shkoda? I'm not sure if they are by the end of it, because they're in a different place. Yeah, but Albania is such a small country, though. Potentially, yes, they are. They might have just based themselves there for the entire season, to be honest. What was the name of that town? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google that town. Oh, it's only a 45-minute drive away. Yeah, they're staying in the same lodge, especially when it's pandemic, so traffic's going to be even lighter. (laughs) So the episode title is literally meaningless. Do you want to have a go at this one? Oh yeah, I did type it in, didn't I? Let's look at my notes here. I apologize to any Dutch people (laughs) listening. Yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not winning any Dutch brownie points. 
Although that is rather appropriate, given that this is episode 420. <laughs> so they're they're in a car and doing carpool karaoke? They are. They say that the dynamics have changed with Glenn going, but Kim says that there is a calmness in the group now. Everyone's just enjoying the nature and the wildlife. It's more like a calmness, because they're always in cars. And it is day five at the lake near Skoda, which I did mean to identify, and I completely forgot to in my notes. Was it Frasier that says that she can sing along to any song whatsoever? And I was thinking, could could she sing along to the song Jessica? I think she probably could. She's very talented. Me, 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 me. <laughs> Can I switch cars, please? <laughs> And here's my rendition of the FCC song. <laughs> yeah, so it's day five at Lake Skoda, and Rick meets them there and asks if they've ever used a slingshot. And of course, in the back, Coach says he has. They will be launching balls into nets. Big green nets are worth 250 euros, little green ones are 500, and the red ones are minus 250. They've got 20 minutes and 15 balls for a maximum of €7,500. Yeah, I believe Rick says that the slingshots can fire spears, bullets, and brassiers. I mean, that sounds like a party. The the only three things you need. Your three essentials in life. Spears, bullets, and brassiers. So three of them get to be shooters, and it is quite chaotic as they decide. Letitia says that she wants to be a shooter just to keep an eye on everyone, and they decide on Thomas, Letitia, and Averon as the shooters. Kim says that she wanted to be in the water just in case there was a yoker hidden in one of the boats, and she ends up helping Averon launch much further by, you know... Ghosting him? Yeah, I was trying to think of a polite term, but ghosting him's a good one, yeah. By ghosting him, and they get a ball in the 250 euro goal. And Thomas, quite predictably, is rubbish. However, this does lead me on to what is more than likely going to be our banner image this week, which is Arno just looking utterly incredulous at him in the water. <laughs> and, and, and Thomas's incompetence. <laughs> yeah. Do you suspect Thomas this week out of interest? Not after, not after what happened this episode. It was a bit much if he was small. Because he was hopeless on the slingshot. And then he played the sandbag trust challenge as if he was a contestant rather than as a mole. It was like, as soon as he did that, I'm thinking, if I was ever on, I would rule rule him out as a suspect ASAP. (laughs) And they do switch Thomas with Arno. He says that he could do something with balls, but he is not much better than Thomas was. In fact, he was worse. He was worse. He lost 250. He did, in the end. Velmud says that Letitia wasn't really in a hurry. She just kind of took the challenge easy. She was just there. I've never seen someone so slow at putting balls and firing them in a slingshot. There was no sense of urgency in this challenge for her. That's the thing. Everyone kind of forgot about her a little bit. She just kind of was there. How would you play it as a mole if you were in this challenge? Well, I mean, there's really two strategies here. Obviously, number one, be on the catapult and just constantly miss on purpose or slightly miss on purpose the whole time. 
or uh, the second strat, the secondary strategy would be be one of the swimmers and just position yourself in what appears to be a logical position, but really isn't, and just be slow with returning the balls to the shooters. But it didn't seem like any of the shooters have ever complained about a shortage of balls during the task. No, mathematically, they only had 15 balls, so it must have been five each. Because the maximum they could have got was 7,500 euros, and the maximum goal was 500. So logically, there had to be 15 balls there. Nobody was complaining about not having any balls come back. Nobody was really complaining about anyone messing up on the slingshot too much, apart from Arno complaining about Thomas. It's weird. Yeah, well, I figured you would think they'd be looking at somebody who was who was swimming and thinking, "Oh, they're not they're not swimming fast enough to the ball, or why are they so far away?" Or it looks like they're just they're just treading there in the water. So I was very surprised that this, none of the swimmers ever got the blame. So I'm guessing they must have been fast enough to bring the balls back. Yeah, it was just an odd one. I mean, logically, you would want to be in the water, presumably. Just generally, even if you were a, a mole or a contestant, you'd probably want to be in the water, wouldn't you? It's the it's the position where it's easiest for you to blend in. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to stand out. Or in Kim's case, blend in by being completely concealed by everyone's body during the toss. <laughs> That's the argument that I I make when people are talking about certain people being the mole. Like, you wouldn't have a mole be shown to be so upfront and so suspicious early in the season. Like, you can let them get away with a couple of things, but you would never actually show people constantly suspecting them, or constantly showing their sabotages straight away. I don't think. Yeah, the most suspicious person for me in this challenge would be Letitia. Yeah. Just because she wasn't called out on her really, really slow pace enough. Yeah, she wasn't called out on it publicly, but we got to see that Velmood was going mm, is she messing up deliberately? And then she didn't even suspect her in the end. That's what I mean it didn't raise enough eyebrows Yeah, that's kind of a, a bit of a red flag for me with her and in an episode like this where I'm like I have no bleeding clue who I suspect that puts her potentially onto my suspect list straight away after taking her off last week uh, So Arno gets very close to the 250 goal 7 or 8 times with one of his final shots, he does get it into a 250 euro goal, but it's the minus 250 goal, which means that in the end, they get nothing for the challenge. What an absolutely meaningless challenge. <laughs> it was fun, though. <laughs> it was fun to hear Arno say, gosh, Thomas, what the fuck, man? What's wrong with your slingshot skills? I must admit, right before the Arno looking incredulous at Thomas thing. There is a great Thomas soundbike of him just going, shit, oh, sorry. <laughs> I think he also said, oh, fuck me. <laughs> yeah, I must have listened to that um, that clip about seven or eight times trying to get the banner, and it made me laugh every single time. Oh, fuck me. Okay, still you. <laughs> like, Thomas, I don't think he's very suspicious anymore. I never really thought he was suspicious, but I really don't think he's suspicious this week. And if Arno is the mole, it just seems too blatant of a sabotage. Well, yeah, that, that's the thing. Do you think the mole would actually deliberately aim for the nets? I don't think they would. I think he'd just keep it at zero. Yeah, I, I would always have the argument that the mole's job is not to take money out of the pot necessarily, it's just to minimise the money in the pot. 
And the way to minimize the money in the pot is to be really bad at shooting or really slow at returning. I I don't think the mole would deliberately go for a minus 250 net. And this is another task where everyone is taking somebody else away from another role to help them out because Kim pulls on everyone's body. So that's one less person to retrieve balls and to potentially uh, speed up the output of the slingshotters. Yeah, I'm guessing he's still your number one suspect. Yeah, because I'm thinking all he did was earn 250 euros. He just landed one. That's not really, it's not like he had an A-plus performance here. Everyone everyone sucked equally. <laughs> I think it would have stood out more had anyone actually been aiming for the 500 euro nets, but everyone just seems to be aiming for the big 250 euro nets, not realizing that is far more jeopardy. And and his shot didn't even, it didn't land perfectly into the net. It, it was a lucky bounce from the water into, it hit the water and then the net. <laughs> So at lunch, Thomas and Healer bitch about Sahil not doing much in the first challenge. Thomas says that he's just so obvious in his mauling. He had tunnel vision on Sahil and Glenn, and now just Sahil is left. And Sahil mainly suspects Thomas. He's closest to him in the group, but he doesn't trust a word that Thomas says. Yeah, Thomas will say, oh yeah, I used to be a plumber. You weren't a plumber, you're lying to me, I don't trust you. You, you were probably a librarian. So in the afternoon, they're taken to an abandoned cable factory. And Thomas describes it as looking like the set of The Walking Dead. Rick tells them that there is a chest next door for each of them with fingerprint locks. And sadly, there are also former employees defending those fingerprint locks. And it's time for a laser game. Former employees? Yeah, they're the zombies of the employees. They died in the building. Just like Thomas said, it's the set of The Walking Dead. They are walkers. And if they get caught, you know, sorry, you're literally getting executed. Someone's going to be coming around with a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire for you. Bad rap. So they will go into the room in groups of three, looking for their own cash box, and each of them has two lives. Once both lives are gone, so are they, and any money they're carrying. And there are two extra lives that can be claimed per group, and they have 45 minutes in total. I wish Arnold Schwarzenegger was on the poster for this two lives uh, challenge. It's an interesting twist on the uh, on the usual laser game rules of you get two lives this time and you can claim more if you really want to. Because the mole can't really have that much of an impact in this challenge. All they can do really is hide some boxes. Or if you're your Rowan, you just win the whole challenge for everybody. Well, exactly, yeah. But in a game like this, the mole's options are very limited because everyone has an individual box. So all you can really do is mess with the locks somehow, which may explain why Kim couldn't find hers. You can uh, swap the boxes over, and you can not open your own box. But not opening your own box probably only costs a group two, three hundred euros at most. That's not much. Yeah, I guess you could open your own box, take the money out, put the lock back on, and just not fess up to the money. I think probably that. That has to be what the mole did, I think. That's kind of a silly sabotage, though. Because no one else can verify because they can't access the mole's lock. No, or um, or find a way to make it so no one can open the locks. Because a lot of people were having trouble opening those locks, and I don't know whether it was just because fingerprint locks are very, very temperamental. Yeah, I, I worked at a job where we had to sign in and out using our fingerprint, and I remember the was it the assistant manager? She had to use 
I think it was her pinky finger to sign in because I guess just with random cuts that she had on her fingertips that she wasn't able to use those fingers reliably because it measured it by percentage of how it measured up to your fingerprint. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely won't have fingerprint lock on my phone because it's so temperamental and I don't want to get locked out of my phone because of it. Yeah, yeah, because when I had to create my account at my first job, it was a dollar store, and then I had a, I took forever because they said, nope, that wasn't a sufficient fingerprint. Try again, try again, try again. And then they, they'd say, okay, now you got to match it. Place it the same way, and then it would say, oh, 55% match. Try again. <laughs> there you go. Always use that te technique when you sign in. So, yeah, they can be quite sensitive to the point it's frustrating. I always have real trouble when I go to the U.S., and because uh, you have to put all four of your fingers on the scanner when you're going through immigration and stuff, and it's like, Nope, that didn't work. Try again. Nope, that didn't work. Try again. It usually goes on for a couple of minutes with me. Yeah, I think that's fairly normal. It was the same thing, actually, when I entered... Oh, yeah, when I had to enter through the UK to get into Europe uh, back in November. They, the guy, the agent didn't even flinch. He just said, eh, eh, whatever, you got time. It's COVID. No one's behind you in line. Just keep trying. <laughs> it's like, all right, all right. <laughs> he, was, he, was like, he was a cheerleader on the sidelines. He said, you could do it. You can you can sign you can open that gate. <laughs> Focus, believe, achieve. Focus, believe, achieve. Just keep putting your fingers there, and eventually the gate will open up, so you can catch your bus to to Stansted Airport. <laughs> That's your prize. You took so long. We're sending you to Stansted. <laughs> you were gonna fly out of Heathrow. You wouldn't have had to go anywhere because you took so long. The consolation prize is a, is a one-way ticket to Stansted with a five-hour layover. Aren't you lucky? Yeah. <laughs> so the groups form quickly. It's Sahil, Arno, and Letitia, Velmud, Kim, and Hila, and Frasia, Averon, and Thomas. Letitia says that she's kept an eye on Kim already, so she's shifting her attention in this challenge to Sahil. And then Kim wants to switch, so her group has a guy in it. Everyone tells her no. Her plan was to not be with Healer as they share all information, and she doesn't suspect Velmood at all. Eventually, though, Thomas does the nice thing and swaps with her. He's trying to make up for his shortcomings in the previous challenge. He wants he wants one friend. And in the future challenge. Because trust me, he's not going to come out of the next challenge very well. Yeah. Win a friend, lose a friend. <laughs> so Healer, Thomas, and Velmood are the first group. Their first priority is finding all of the boxes so they can report where they are and it can be drawn on the map. And Healer almost immediately manages to lose a life in a confrontation and has to claim the first extra life. Do you think anyone was messing with the um, the comms in that first challenge? Because they were having so much trouble. Yeah, that first group with, what was it, Healer, Velmud, and Thomas? Yeah. Yeah, they were really, yeah, that, that was some, there's been a lot of times where we figured out who the mole is based on who's who we think is screwed up on the walkie-talkie uh, during these types of tasks. And here we are again, the one, there's the very first group tries to communicate and uh, there's, there was a disruption somewhere. So it's a very moly thing to have happen. I remember being onto Rob in China purely because I suspected that he was the one constantly messing with the walkie-talkies in, in their um, walkie-talkie challenge with the cars. And I was right. That was the first time where I was properly suspecting Rob, I think, was that challenge. 
in the De Morgan, that was a repeated sabotage and multiple challenges. I mean, the the reunion episode of um, of China, I even have the picture of Rob looking like, oopsie, was it me? With the walkie-talkie as the banner. And still no one suspected it. <laughs> no. I did, which is all that matters. Well, amongst the contestants, yes. <laughs> yeah, don't give a shit about the contestants. I suspected him, and that's all that matters to me. <laughs> I'm more important than the Netherlands. <laughs> so Thomas opens his box first and then is backed up to escape by Velmud, and he manages to return inexplicably with 210 euros. Now, there is an argument that Sahil hid some money in this challenge when he opened his box. I think it is nonsense, because the best thing that the producers can do to start casting doubt on people is to not make the numbers equal. The numbers were not equal in these boxes, 100%. Well, how much was up for grabs? 2,000? And there's nine people? Yeah, so mathematically it couldn't have been equal anyway, but we know for a fact that Thomas had 210 in his. I think Letitia had 220 in hers. It's entirely plausible that Sahil could have had 100. Yeah, yeah, it's nine people mathematically, yeah. They're not going to put in pennies in there to even it out. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if the Moles box had the most money in it. But I think that they deliberately varied the amount of money in it, depending on where it was in the um, in the factory, and that then makes people suspicious of uh, suspicious of Sahil. Yeah, but they got to tell the contestants that part, though. That's a bit of a cheap way to stir up suspicion and drama within the crew. Oh God, yeah, it's mole producing one hundred and one when it comes to a bit of this. <laughs> it's vary the amount of money if it's individual, and then. Uh, you stir up a little bit of drama. And you don't tell them that you did that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean I, it's not as bad as it's been the past, what, two or three seasons where information, way too much information is withheld from the contestants in terms of how the challenge operates. So here we have that come back, but at least it's a smaller dose of it because we've had some pretty bad challenges in terms of the contestants having no idea what the challenge really was or how it was supposed to function. Yeah. We are spoiled by Belgi constantly explaining their challenges, usually with graphics. And Vidum has never really done that all, not for a while. But it would be nice occasionally to actually for us to actually be confident as to how they win the challenges rather than, you know, leaving us in the dark as well. That's true. Yeah, that's I didn't really notice about that about Vidim before, that Rick doesn't narrate as the challenge is going on and updates us as to what's happening. No. We're left in the dark as much as the contestants are. Which doesn't seem fair. It seems too easy for the mole, to me. And I don't want this episode to turn into a oh, Vidim's gone shit again episode. Because I really I enjoyed some bits of this episode. And there's a lot for us to talk about from this episode. The problem is the last two episodes have been really, really good and it's felt like they've turned a corner and this one feels a little bit like the previous seasons have felt. It's made me more apprehensive to be like, yeah, this is a great season. Purely because I'm just like, mm. it feels like they're just trying to to dupe the contestants again, and it doesn't feel fair. Because it is the challenge I think to think back to on this sort of a topic is there's one in South Africa for Vidum where the treasurer got to fly in a helicopter over to um to a mountaintop after they won a challenge and pick an envelope with someone's name on it. And 
the amount that they picked was hidden from the audience because the maximum amount was in the mole's envelope. Oh, that's an that's an odd challenge. Yeah, if they correctly picked the mole, they got a lot of money out of it, and if they didn't, well, they got a smaller amount of money out of it. Hmm. So I think it's probably the same logic with the boxes here, that the mole's box was probably the most well-hidden one anyway, but probably had the most money in it. The most money in it. I reckon the mole's box probably had about 500 in it. It'd be hilarious if it had 1,900 euros in it, and everyone else had to split 10 euros. <laughs> I'm just trying to think whether the maths would work out. If It depends whether you think Sahil's telling the truth, I think, is the ultimate question. If you think Sahil's telling the truth about his box only containing 100, then the rest of the maths probably works if you assume that the mole's box had a lot of money in it. Yeah, if the mole had yeah, about 400 euros. Yeah, because the... If the moles had 500 in and Sahil's had 100 in, then the remaining seven people had about 200 euros in their box each, which plausibly actually works with the numbers we have from this challenge. So in what scenario could you open the mole's box then? Do you knock out, if you know who the mole is, do you do a sucker punch from behind, knock them out and just drag their 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 body and then lift their hand up to the lock, press, the, press their fingerprint against it and voila, you get the euros? <laughs> I'm thinking, and I don't know whether fingerprint locks work this way, I'm thinking there would be a master, a master way to open it anyway. But I think you're probably right that the mole's tactic here was to go in, find their box, unlock it straight away, and relock it. Take the money out, relock it. Or alternatively, not be in the first group and put their lock, take their fingerprint lock and put it on one of the boxes that had already been opened nearer the front. Because I think the the mole's box had to be the most well-hidden. So, yeah. I think there are some pretty clear mole tactics. I think when it comes to whatever sort of reunion we get at the end of the season, we will probably see what the mole actually did in this challenge to stop them winning money. Has the mole ever laid off from sabotaging a laser game? It almost seems like a mandatory sabotage each year. I don't think so. Because it's the easy sort of challenge for them to mole, if you think about it, because... Well, not for your Rowan. <laughs> well, yeah, but your Rowan wasn't a mole, was he? It's the easy sort of challenge in theory for a mole to mole, because... It tends to take place in a dark environment. It tends to be smoke. It tends to be the sort of challenge where you either go into the building one at a time or in a small group. You tend to be able to sneak off and do some sabotage. Whereas if you're in a a small group in a daytime challenge, I know this was actually a daytime challenge, but if you're in one where it's well lit and everything, people are going to be watching each other far more. It's much harder to sabotage that sort of challenge. That's why the laser game keeps coming back because it is so much easier for the mole to mole in a laser game than any other sort of challenge, unless you're your own who wasn't a mole. Plus, everyone gets very giddy. They almost It's like they almost jizz themselves whenever they hear it's a laser game. Yeah, we talk about Tunnel Vizzy a lot in the mole in terms of suspects, but there is a Tunnel Vizzy in Vidum especially for the laser game, and people are just going, I want to get to the laser game, I want to get to the laser game, and being so distracted by how much fun the laser game is that they then don't look around for the least subtle sabotage of the season that will be taking place right next to them. I don't care who the mole is. I'm not going to look for who the mole is. I just want to play the laser game. (laughs) Yeah, I think people are very distracted by the laser game generally. Whereas the laser game is the challenge that probably is easiest to find the mole sabotaging it. 
out of any other traditional type of task that they love to do. So Healer and Velmood take significantly longer and everyone starts getting suspicious that they're looking for advantages because advantages are very frequently hidden in a laser game as well. A shooter sneaks up on Velmood and she loses her second life, as does Healer, as she was too distracted by shooting the shooters. <laughs> Frazier, Kim and everyone are the second group to go in with 38 minutes and 16 on the clock. Everyone says he wanted to keep an eye on Kim, but that didn't work very quickly. Because they all separate instantly, and he's like, well, I guess I have to change my strategy now and just enjoy the laser game like everybody else, especially Frazier, who is auditioning as the next G.I. Jane. One thing that I did think was very interesting and harks back to what we've been saying in the first couple of weeks about them being a little bit more generous to the contestants than normal is the clock didn't keep running when they were doing their post-everyone-eliminated debriefs. Yes. So when everyone had come back, that clock was paused. I had noticed the pause clock, too. I was thinking, the first time it happened, I was thinking, is that just an editor glitch and they're forgetting to restart the time? But then it was very clear, no, they. I'm going to guess they have at least five minutes, maybe ten minutes, to discuss what happened with each group before the next one goes. That makes the challenge so much easier. Yeah, and usually with the laser game, if someone is eliminated, they are eliminated. They don't get to return to the group as well. They don't tend to let people actually talk to each other when someone's been eliminated. I don't mind this level of forgiveness for for Vidim contestants, though, if it makes the challenge more fun for everybody, especially with the next challenge that comes after this, where that is not as fun for everybody. <laughs> the problem I have with this laser game is there's just so much that we didn't see and that should have been told to us, if not the contestants, like whether everyone had the same amount of money in their boxes or whether everyone had either 210 or 220 in their boxes. Which would work mathematically as well. If two people had 220, then that would work mathematically. But to not tell us these things is a bit disingenuous, I think. Because it then just makes us speculate far more. Hmm. I think it's rain outside for the first time in three weeks. <laughs> I was thinking, was there a cat in the room that's scratching at the window? But no, no clue in it. It's rain. <laughs> the third week of Logan's Animal Stories. <sighs> Is there a cat outside? No, it's just water. <laughs> Cats don't like water, man. <laughs> So Frazier claims herself a third life, which she loses quickly along with another one. <laughs> and she is then almost immediately out of the challenge. I, I wrote down the I wrote down the notes. She has two lives. She has three lives. She has two lives. One life. Zero. Gone. <laughs> Kim keeps trying boxes to no success and then claims that she's tried them all. She loses her second life and is out. And Averon is also knocked out with no money and 28 minutes 59 left on the clock. I like how Kim kept putting her finger in front of everyone's eye just to distract him as much as possible while he's trying to get the hell out of there. <laughs> then Sahil, Leticia, and Arno are the final three. Their plan is to all head as a group and unlock their boxes one at a time. However, Leticia immediately goes rogue and goes left of the entrance. She opens her box quickly, and her friends know her as the laser tag queen. And she says that she's not such a sweet girl when laser tag is involved. And then we get to Sahil, who is fast becoming probably the best character of the season, which probably means he's going to go home either 5th or 6th. Because he develops a personal vendetta with one of the shooters, 
He says he's awesome at laser tag and ends up chasing the shooter around and around and around a cable barrel. <laughs> he actually kept chasing the guy after the challenge was over. Rick had to restrain him and say, no, no, you, the game's over. So he'll, you, can't, you can't keep chasing after random Albanians. This dude has literally died for your sins. He's the zombie, for God's sake. Leave him alone. <laughs> Do you know how much that cost, production? That's why there is there was only 100 euros in your box, the hill. It was surprisingly difficult to find a walker who had not rotted already. <laughs> Arno spends his time looking for yokers and exemptions and shooting shooters as necessary. So Hill opens his box and then decides to help Arno as he's still in the field. Mm-hmm. Arno gets shot and so Hill decides to avenge him because he just loves shooting shooters. Yeah, it's like he's rescuing Lieutenant Dan. And when Arno goes to press the extra life button, no extra lives get added. Someone has pressed it twice. There are no extra lives for Arno. Yes. Which is very interesting because it can only have been Sahil or Letitia who pressed it. And we didn't see Letitia press the button at all. Which actually makes me more suspicious of her. I like how when Sahil thinks of the action stars he compares himself to, he lists Tom Cruise, Will Smith, and Martin Lawrence. In other words, he's thinking he's one of the bad boys. <laughs> he's, he's auditioning for Odd Bad Boys 4. So Arno opens his box too, and they sprint for the exit as a pair, and they both escape with their money. So Hill had 100 euros, Arno had 210, Letitia had 220, and Thomas had 210, for a total of 740 euros of 2,000 for the challenge. Everyone flings up the money in the air, they don't collect it all, so really it's 730 euros into the pot. I suspect that production probably swapped them for more convenient notes. After that, anyway. They claimed 740 euros and then handed back all of the 10 euro notes and got told, no, we're just going to give you some easy money here. Arno and Sahil really uh, branded themselves as if they were they were the top dogs, or as if they were uh, had a concert. So when they come back, they say, oh, we're in the motherfucking building. I'm thinking, well, I haven't heard that since I went to hip-hop concerts when I was younger. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. <laughs> yeah. I also like Rick coming in afterwards and going, eh, it could have been 2,000 euros, but it also could have been zero. Take care of it, Healer. So in the evening, Kim and Healer say that it's suspicious that Frazier went out early and that Sahil got only 100 euros from his box. They think that he knows everyone is onto him. And then they wake up on day six and let's see. I need to find out how that is pronounced, because otherwise I am going to just do it the Saunders way. Les. It's Lege, according to Google. Lege. Alright. So they wake up on day six in Lege <laughs> and meet Rick at Skanderberg's mausoleum, which is apparently a former church. He asks if Hela is still treasurer, and she shows him that the pot is literally taped to her arm. Yeah, he'd have to chop her arm off <laughs> to get the money. Even the mole wouldn't go that far to sabotage the group. My favourite thing is the fact that it is quite blatantly duct taped to her arm, but the pot itself is in the world's least secure purse. You literally could grab Healer's arm, pull the zip around and steal all the money out of it. It's so insecure. If, it, if this was a mob movie, it would be a shakedown where they could just shake her and the money would come out of her arm. Yeah. <laughs> So he tells Healer in front of the group that she has no chance at an exemption and sends her away before warning the rest. She does have a chance 
at a black exemption. Then tells Healer that the other eight could earn 6,000 euros in the next challenge, or, if they trust each other, an exemption for each of the eight of them. However, she does have a choice. She can choose to bring the black exemption into play, which is in one of four envelopes that he's carrying. As treasurer, she can skew the odds a little bit. For 500 euros, he will remove one envelope, and for an additional 1,000 euros, he will remove two. She chooses to remove two envelopes. What would you do as treasurer? I think in this situation, you got to go for the black exemption. You don't want to have everyone else with the green exemption potentially be completely screwed this round. I think it depends. I would have had to ask production a question on this. Because it depends on the exemption rules. If the exemption rules are the traditional ones now for Venom... Oh, I see where you're going with this. Yeah. That if the person with the red screen has an exemption, everyone carries through, I wouldn't pick the black exemption. I would have played for the team if I was a, uh, a contestant. If, however, it is the Josh elimination ones where no one has a physical exemption, but regardless, someone's going home, then obviously you, you buy as much as you can to skew the odds in your favor. Yeah, if it's an automatic, if it's a mandatory execution, you got to go for the black exemption in the situation. Otherwise, you're the only person who's eligible for elimination. But if it is just a traditional Vidim potential non-elimination, you don't buy the black exemption. You trust everyone else to play for the team like you did, I think. Yeah, and also doesn't help that this cast started with 11 people, so you know the odds of a non-elim are very, very small. Yeah, and the other element of this is the fact that she could still randomly pick the black exemption without paying any money. She'd have a 1 in 4 chance, but she could still do it. She picks her envelope and is told she can now prepare for test and execution. The other eight are paired up. I wonder what would be in the envelope that didn't have the black exemption. Is it just a picture of Rick with a middle finger uh, on it as a photograph? Saying you suck or you're unlucky? It's uh, it's a portrait of Sinan Chan. Yeah, you just get Sinan touched. I'm not even on the season. I managed to screw over the contestants. You're for sure going to get executed. I'm going to tell everyone to go for the green exemption, and then you're going to go home by default. Before we started recording, we were talking about the fact that the UK is adapting uh, the traitors. I have just remembered that CNAM was actually on the first season of the Dutch version of uh, the traitors, as was uh, Diedrich, actually. Diedrich was one of the three traitors. Spoilers. Ah, from, in- from an innocent man to a saboteur. And Sinan went home very early as one of the faithful. He was not a traitor. That's not a surprise. (laughs) So the other eight are paired up, and they are on either side of an exemption route, and each have a bag of sand. They will stand on each panel for 30 seconds at a time, and can drop their bag of sand during those 30 seconds, and claim whatever they're standing on, stopping the game, and earning their opponent nothing. If they both make it to the middle without dropping their bags, they both get an exemption. The panels are a thousand euros, then a yoker, then two yokers, fifteen hundred euros, three yokers, an exemption, and an exemption for both of them. How would you play this? I don't know. I'd be fearing that uh, we're all having to have a, a bag of sand uh, dangle from from one of our hands. I'd be worried that as soon as I drop it, that a gigantic boulder is going to come out and chase me across Albania. I mean, it depends if you're a if you're the mole or a normal contestant as well. Because if you're the mole, obviously you you want to get to the middle. That's the argument 
because you win trust, which is the most important thing for the mole in this challenge, I think, is to win trust with whoever they're, whoever they're playing with. Simultaneously win trust and keep money out of the pot. Exactly. Win trust and keep money out of the pot. But it's just to win trust is the number one aim for the mole in this challenge, I would say, is to win trust with whoever they're paired up. As soon as Velmood dropped the bag on 1,500 euros, I instantly put, Velmood is for sure not the mole, because the mole would never do that in this challenge. And then she got executed. I'm thinking, well, so much for her being exonerated. She's gone. I think it's very interesting that Kim also dropped on 1,500 euros. She dropped like half a second after Velmood did, and people seem to be sleeping on this. Yeah, I, I put that, yeah, I know that too. I dropped Kim down on my suspect list because of it. Yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting. But if you're playing as a player, then your options are only going to be exactly as as Kim and Velmut say. It's either go for the money or go for the exemptions. There is no middle ground. You don't want to screw someone over, because if you screw someone over, you might need their help later on, Thomas. <laughs> so your options probably going into this game, regardless of who you are, is either money or the exemptions. The mole wants to win trust, so the mole would probably go straight for exemptions. As a player, it would be a tougher choice. Thomas and Evron just had the strangest string of events to happen during their duel. Because Thomas keeps saying, we need to go for the double exemption, Evron. That's in everyone's best interest for this challenge if we're not going to go for the money. Just go for the double exemption. It's it's the win-win situation. And then Thomas says, I promise to go for the win-win situation, everyone. And then Evron says, oh, I can't promise it because I'm on you, Thomas. So then Thomas is thinking, well, what does that mean, everyone? Are you not going to go for the double exemption then? Are you going to go for three ochres, the one exemption? How do I read into that? So I think Thomas just did it as a safety net by by waiting until it hit three ochres and then dropped the bag. Everyone storms off and then Thomas says, well what the hell was I supposed to do when you sent me the weirdest signal possible after after my full explanation? What did you expect me to do? Something we didn't touch on last week that I really, I really meant to touch on was the fact that in the process of building the pool document, I realised they'd actually updated everyone's, um, everyone's headshots that, that I use as the basis of it. Because the original ones that were released in, in August were kind of not the normal type ones they do. These ones are much more normal. However, Thomas's makes him look like Darth Sidious. <laughs> and it is so funny to me whenever I see Thomas's one for the headshots, because he, it, it is a genuinely dreadful picture of Thomas that they have used on this website. And surely he had veto over this. And I don't understand why he's deliberately put this on the website. However, his face, as soon as he goes, well, what do you expect me to do, Averon? You gave me bad vibes here. His face is exactly the same. He just basically looks like like a Star Wars villain. And it's so funny to me when it happens because of that. And him completely misplaying the potential of goodwill in that episode. It's so funny. Everyone played it so poorly, though. Why would you... When, when someone says, hey, do we have a deal with how we're both going to play this challenge? And then everyone says, eh no or just be really really iffy then you're forced somebody like thomas to just scramble think okay okay i wasn't expecting that answer what's my best course of action here so 
just screwed everything up. There's not going to be a rational decision here. Thomas is just going to think, okay, I guess I'll go for three yokers because everyone might be going for a green exemption, or he might go for two exemptions, but then why wouldn't he agree to the deal we made a minute ago? So I think it was just, if, if, he must have assumed everyone is going to go for one exemption, so he's going to go for the next best thing right before it and go for three yokers. Yeah. Is it in the mole's best interest? Assuming it is, Aderon. Is it in his best interest to screw over Thomas? Probably not. I think if Aderon is a mole, he would have still gone for for an exemption for each of them. I think if I mean it could have, if he's the mole, it could just his goal could have been to trigger a whole lot of confusion there. If I was Thomas, I'd be so confused that I wouldn't be that I would just cast everyone aside as the mole anymore. If I did suspect him, I'd be thinking, okay, it's someone else because who would do that? And I would also rule out Sahil potentially because he was wearing a Space Jam shirt during the challenge too. So Frazier had Leticia at first. Leticia says she doesn't trust Frazier, but she knows that she's fanatical in the game. Frazier says she wants an exemption for both of them. Neither of them get tempted. Frazier says that three yokers is tempting because you can spread them over multiple tests. Neither of them drop their bags, and they both earn an exemption. The second pair is the aforementioned Thomas and Averon. Averon promises that he's going to the middle, but Thomas says that him saying that motivates him to screw Averon over more. Thomas drops the three yokers, saying he didn't get the promise of trust back from Everon. Kim and Velmud are third. They say they either both go for money or both go for exemptions. They decide to put 1,500 euros in the pot, dropping their bags about half a second apart. Velmud suspects that Hila has a black exemption, which makes going for advantages redundant. Arno and Sahila are the final pair, and try and decide who is Butch Cassidy and who is the Sundance Kid. They're on the final step at 10.52am as per Sahil's watch. Neither of them drop, earning them both an exemption. And that gives the team a total of absolutely nothing for €6,000. Absolutely nothing of €6,000 for the challenge. €740 of 15500 for the episode. And 4150 of 25800 for the season so far. And Rick tells them in their pairs after they've made their choice to prepare for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least goes home, except for the mole who can never go home. Arno, Frazier, Leticia, and Sahil have exemptions, and Thomas has three yokers. My next question, do you play your exemption if you have a green one, knowing that the black exemption is likely to appear this round? I would have hung on to it. I would have figured with nine people, there's going to be at least one person who doesn't spread on this quiz. Yeah, I would have also hung on to it. Because as I think it's Frazier says later, the advantages become more powerful the longer you hold on to them. Well, yeah, because your chances of being executed get higher and higher as the season progresses. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to play it immediately knowing that there is a very strong possibility that you're probably going to still be non-immune coming out of it and you won't have any advantage to begin with. So why not wait a week and see if if Healer plays a Black Exemption. If she doesn't play a Black Exemption, then you play it next week, probably. Or the week after, if you're confident. Yeah, I would definitely be hanging on to my to my Green Exemption, regardless, even regardless if I, I suspected there being a Black Exemption play or not. I just can't see myself voluntarily giving up a Green Exemption when there's nine people left. You've got to be pretty unlucky to go home with a Green Exemption in your pocket. 
It does happen, though. It does. But you've got to be pretty unlucky, I would say, for it to happen to you. So Thomas still suspects the heel as he doesn't know what to think of that idiot. Arno, because of his cunning, and Kim. And he plays two of his three yokers. I think Thomas and Sahil get on well, but that comment out of context comes across really quite prickish from Thomas. Yeah, it's, it's, it's behind his back after being so nice to Sahil and hugging it out with him at the end of the duel. What up with that, Thomas? Arno suspects Felmood. She contributed absolutely nothing in the laser game, but there were also four others who did that, and he plays his exemption. Velmood is spreading over Thomas to Hill and Kim and a little bit of healer. She claimed to have tried every box in the laser game, but no box opened for her. Healer suspects Thomas and Frazier. She's so fanatical it seems too good to be true. Leticia says he's laser focused on Sahil, but that's dangerous, so she's putting a few on Kim. Her gut tells her not to play the exemption, so she leaves it in her pocket, even though she doesn't want to be the person to go home with one. Sahil is mostly on Thomas and a little bit of Kim as she's an enigma. He doesn't feel like he needs the exemption, so he doesn't play it. Kim says she's been on Averon since day one. She sounds insane, but she has a connection to the universe, and the universe keeps sending her signs to him being the mole. And this is the absolute highlight of the episode, because we get a brilliant editor's joke of playing in a Michael Jackson noise when she talks about Averon's middle names. (laughs) It's so funny. It sort of made up for the slightly lacklustre rest of the episode, was the fact that the editors are still sat there going, if Kim isn't the mole... We can just make fun of her being slightly mental. Yeah. Michael Jackson is the mole. Everyone is on Thomas. If it is him, he seems really fanatical. Frazier says that Sahil seemed like a really excitable boy in the start of the game who connected with everyone, but he's playing dumb. And she chooses not to play her exemption and save it for later with the mantra no risk, no reward. Rick does tell them that. Advantages were played, but not everyone played their advantages. He gets Healer to admit that she paid 1,500 euros for a black exemption, which is quite cheap at Vidim rates, for the record. It's usually about 5,000 euros they end up spending on black exemptions. She picked the correct envelope and played the black exemption this round, voiding Thomas's yokers and Arno's exemption. Healer, Averon, Letitia and Arno all get green screens before Velmood gets the red one and is the third person sent home. Shit. Shit, indeed. I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> Literally, as soon as that music started started soaring, I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, Velmood's going. But I will say, even though she was my number one suspect last week, I'm very glad she went early, because I would much rather my suspects go early than me have to hang on to them like I did with uh, Mariah last year. I'm not as devastated as I probably should be, because I'm like... Yeah, but it's still only week three. I've got ages to actually pinpoint who the mole is correctly, and I would rather that my initial suspects go home quickly. Moon got a lot of airtime for somebody who goes home in week three. Usually that's a pretty under-edited role. And also her archetype of the slightly slightly stuffy newsreader is a very frequently played one in Vidim, going back probably even before Rick himself, but Rick did fill that archetype. And it's nice to actually see one of them with a personality, being honest about it. Because we had a lot of complaints about Meryl, for example, who was also that archetype, especially after she ended up being the mole. And I feel like Velmood was actually quite a nice person and very, very fun to to watch. Yes, that meant that I ended up suspecting her last week because she was hella suspicious last week. 
I'm not necessarily devastated she's gone, because I think it was probably the right time. I'm interested to see who now has the phone. But she had a nice three-episode arc. We got we got a sufficient amount of content from her. I'm not, I'm not going to be crying my eyes out when I watch the next episode. No. So next time, everyone reaches new heights in pairs up a tower, upside down by the look of things, before making new friends and asking questions of each other in an abandoned building. Who do you suspect? All right, let's go from top to bottom. So number one suspect is everyone... Number two is Letitia, mainly because of the Slingshot game, and she did not contribute much else to to this episode. (laughs) Number three suspect is Skiba. She did take out as much as as she could during the Black Exemption Challenge, and I don't think she really contributed much else during this, during the other two tasks that I can think of. Yeah, she didn't bring any money back during the laser game, did she? Uh, Hila, no, she didn't. It was, let me get the list up. It was Sahil with 100, Arno with 210, Letitia with 220, and Thomas with 210. And number four is is Frisia. Frisia. Uh, I just can't get quite a good read on her. She always does something suspicious every once in a while, so that's why we're in the number four spot. Sahil is number five, but I'm very close to ruling him out because of how much other people suspect him, which is not really encouraged by the editors in Bidum. <laughs> and then this is the gap of people who I do not suspect whatsoever anymore, which was Velmood before she got executed, Kim, Arno, and Thomas. Just because Arno and Thomas feel like they're playing these challenges as if they're contestants rather than as the mole. And then Kim is just too far out there for me to think of her as being the mole anymore. <laughs> uh, so, my top three seems though this is the last week of, uh, of three suspects. I'm putting Letitia back up there for many of the same reasons that, that you did. The fact that we had it drawn to attention, that she wasn't doing much in the Slingshot Challenge, but nobody actually said it publicly is very interesting, and the only person who said it ended up going home and didn't suspect her according to what we what we know in the test. Then it's Frasier, just because, like you said, I just can't get a read on her. I've always suspected her. She's always been up there in, in all three weeks of my suspicion so far. And I, I don't know whether she's just being properly fanatical or whether there's more, more to it than that. Right, we didn't talk about that this episode, but everyone describes her as being fanatical, but... yeah. We haven't seen any examples of it other than her getting killed two seconds into the laser game. No, she's she's very much serving the same archetype Rocky did last year, which is what makes me slightly hesitant to suspect her, because, you know, Rocky wasn't the model. But there's just something I can't put my finger on with her. That's what it boils down to. I just can't... I can't get a good assessment on her, which makes her inherently suspicious to me. Yeah, she's the most under-edited player in the whole cast. Yeah, it makes me feel like she's just doing stuff behind behind the scenes that we're not seeing until the reunion, when it gets revealed she's the mole. And in third is Kim, purely because I've had to basically rule people out who Velmood suspected, at least assuming that she was telling the truth here. And that was Thomas the Heel and Kim, with a little bit of heel, as she said. So that's why Kim's in third, because, I mean, if she's the mole... 
you can't really rationalise it that much, I would say. But I wouldn't be necessarily surprised if she ends up being the mole. I'd be probably a little bit annoyed because they've edited her weirdly if she is the mole. But yeah, I don't know. She's she's firmly in my third position. I don't suspect Arno, being honest about it, obviously. I don't suspect Thomas. Sahil's a weird one because, like you said, everyone suspects him. He probably is just going to end up being our fan favourite fifth placer. And Averon, I don't see what you see in terms of suspicions of him, so he's just not in my top three. <laughs> I just don't agree with your opinion whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, that's what it boils down to. I just, I just don't trust your judgment. So that kind of by default leaves me with uh, Frazier, Letitia, and Kim in some order. So it's this week it's going to be Letitia, Frazier, and then Kim for me. So in the pool, Velmood was executed, so I lost my first team member, Boo. So now I only have Frazier and Healer. Logan still has Averon, Sahil, and Thomas, and Michelle has Arno, Kim, and Letitia. In the first suspicions, after heaping so much praise on Mark Doyle last week, I do have to retract it as he, along with Christopher and April Bride 15, had Velmood as suspect number one. Bram, Steve, and Natalia all had her at number 10. Velmood going home yet again doesn't change the order, but Kim is now on 2.88 out of 8, with Fraser at 3.41, Sahil at 4, Averon at 4.65, Letitia at 4.94. Thomas at 512, Arno at 541, and Healer at 559. As a trio, me, Michelle, and Logan think that Kim, Frazier, Letitia, and Healer are more suspicious than average, and Sahil, Averon, Thomas, and Arno are less suspicious than average. And the Netherlands think that Sahil with 19%, Kim Leanne with 17%, and Frazier with 13%, which is plus 6 from last week, are the most suspicious, and Healer, 6%, Arno, 10%, and Letitia, 11% are least suspicious. Who do you think's going next week? Uh, well, could be Frazier because of how little material we see of her. She doesn't get much footage, so I could see her just being executed in the fourth episode and we never hear from her again. I think it's probably going to be Arno or Thomas. But the longer they both last, the funnier and more disruptive the remaining challenges will be. <laughs> oh god, yeah. They're getting, they're getting the edits of... They're getting edits basically saying, for the love of God, can these people go home now? And I think I think especially Arno. Arno's number one suspect was Velmid this week. He's got to be on borrowed time. All they need is one more stooge, and they can change their names to Mo, Larry, and Curly. From a production point of view, you want Arno to stick around as long as possible, so the debate of whether Five Grand's going to get added to the pot is still there. But I think from a twist point of view, it's hilarious if Arno goes home mid-season. And they just never speak of the five thousand euros again. Like if we end up with a double execution this season, Averon and Arno going home is the best case scenario for maximum hilarity on our end. Yeah, the twist just ends up being a complete dud with losing. Even if they go home in the next two episodes, I do fear we're going to get a double execution because mathematically it is a bit dicey. Even if there is an execution every episode, they can't have a non-elimination, as you said earlier. So if we have a non-elimination, they have to do a double. And I hate double executions. Because we always end up losing good characters in them. So there is a danger coming up that we're going to get a double execution. I think it'd be hilarious if, if they do end up screwing themselves with with Arno and Averon both going home to double. But I don't know. I just don't want them to do a double. I'd rather have no none of them, being honest. <laughs> Look at them. He's in race 33. They're going to have six... Six non-elimination legs are 
and away seven non-elimination legs out of 12 by the end of the season. I was trying to explain to Mabrula last night about how much of a mess Imaginary's 33 was. <laughs> but we don't need to get into that now. The final bit of housekeeping for the podcast is that you can do the Bubba's Bar Suspect List each week, run by the wonderful Daniel Peake, at the link in our description. I've not done mine yet this week. I did do it quite early last week. I was waiting till after the podcast to, to reconcile my feelings this week after being so heartbroken that my team member had gone. Have you got anything else you want to say? No, I think we, we've covered it. So in that case, thank you for listening to our Vista Mall 2022 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for the nearest mall in Albania. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at Logsquacky, and I'm MJ Harmstone. Thank you as always to Marika for the subtitles, and we'll see you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring. <laughs>